Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it's Adam and Jill is here as well. Just wanted to give you a heads up. You're about to hear an introduction for this interview with Ann Lucky that Jill did. I all excitedly tell you that it's episode 192. It's not. It's episode 193. But I really liked the intro that we did, so I didn't want to delete it. And it's hard. <laughs> we don't want to, like, put a th- just three over me saying 192. So it's episode 193. If you looked at the numbers, you'll notice that. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But just wanted to re- tell you why you're going to hear me say 192 when the last episode we said was 192. Anything else I messed up, Jill, that you can think of? No, I think that's everything. Okay, here's the intro to episode 193, not 192. Enjoy. Alright, you can... Okay, are you recording this whole thing? Now I am! Cool, awesome. <laughs> that's like part of Harry Potter. Okay, um... We are not talking about Harry Potter. Nope, we're not. I know. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 192 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Jill. Jill, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Am I am I breaking the, the levels? No, no, you're fine. I was just double checking. Okay. Well, to be fair, you did check our levels before we started, and then I kind of just yelled into the microphone. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, everyone! That one thing, so... Um, what, uh, you did everything for this episode all by yourself, all by your lonesome. So what'd you do? I did. I got to interview Anne Leckie, uh, who is a, um, very popular science fiction author. And she has a new book out now, um, that came out a couple months ago called Provenance, which is part of her same kind of ancillary justice world. Um, and it was a really fun conversation with her. I think especially because those who uh, are familiar with Anne know that she got into the writing game late in the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was, you know, I won't say old, but she was definitely, she's not young um, when she started writing and publishing. And then her first book went on to win the um, trifecta of science fiction yeah. writing awards. Neb- Nebula? <laughs> Uh, the Nebula, the Hugo, and the Arthur C. Clarke. I believe that is correct. It's oh, I have my notes, and I apparently don't have them. No, right that's now. okay. I I know this just because I talked about it to someone else. But she's the first author to ever win all three. For correct, one and book. it was her debut. Yeah, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah, that's that's cool. No pressure. <laughs> did she? Did you talk about that at all with her? Like a little bit. What it felt like. To... Yeah. Like how do you keep going from that? Yeah. That's well, because that was how when. I had the conversation with B.A. Paris, and her first book sold, I think, a trillion copies? I think it was a trillion. Um, and she's like, I don't know, I just assumed everyone did this. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I think it's an interesting thing, because it comes up a lot. I was I was reading something about um, uh, another author, uh, Andy Weir, who wrote um, The Martian, and mm-hmm. this idea of, like, the sophomore slump, and, like, how do you... When you write your first book... And it just skyrockets like that. Like, how do you even approach a second book? Um, 
and uh, neither of those authors, or actually any, none of those authors have suffered from any kind of sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. They've all done very well with their second books. But yeah, so Provenance is in that same world. Um, and it sort of reads like a cozy mystery kind of. I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. It's like a cozy mystery in space. It's uh, Ingray is um, part of this um collection she sort of like is out there trying to collect um forged items and stolen antiques and she kind of gets drawn into this um plot involving moving a person um from a basically breaking them out of space prison Uh (laughs) and it just does not quite go the way she had planned (laughs) it's really good i um i also they sent us a couple copies of this and i can't remember why i was like do you want to do this one by yourself? But the book is really... Uh, describing it as a cozy mystery in space is kind of accurate. I don't... It's, I mean, I don't really know how else to describe it, yeah. but it's... It's... Yeah. It's it's really enjoyable. It um, is. I, I'm finding, as we're very early in 2018, but looking at the couple of books I've already read, I feel like this is going to be Adam's year of sci-fi and fantasy. Like, most years are, but I'm finding every book I'm looking at to want to read, you know, like adding it on my TBR list or putting a hold on a book... Like, 90% of the books that I put on hold already this year have been sci-fi or fantasy. There's a lot coming out. So much fun. Um, If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. If you do follow us on social media, what episode did we say this is? 192? This is 192. Okay. So there are eight episodes left into our um, 200th episode, and we are giving away two Kobo Aura 1s. You have until February 2nd to post a picture of you with a cat or a dog. doesn't even have to be yours. <laughs> um, and we will uh, just tag us and we will uh, pick a winner um, from those entries to to get a Kobo Aura 1. Yeah. And I have, we've had a few people tweet and ask us, it doesn't matter if you're in America or anywhere else in the world, we will ship it to you um, at Overdrive's cost. So don't worry about that. Uh, we'll get it, we'll get it to you no matter where you are in the world. We're very fortunate. We got listeners all over the place. So if you send us, you know, a message from Australia and we we pick you, we'll we'll send you a device. Uh, they're sitting at my desk. They've been sitting at my desk for a really long time. Guys, I want to open them and use them myself, but I'm not. They're just so shiny and beautiful. So keep those coming in. And even after the 200th episode, if you want to keep sending us cats and dogs, I do. That's fine. Um, anything else you think people should know before they get to this interview? I don't think so. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation that Jill had with Ann Lucky on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Jill, and today I'm joined by best-selling science fiction author Ann Lucky. Her novel, Ancillary Justice, is the only book to ever win the Hugo, Nebula, and Arthur C. Clarke Awards. Her latest book, Provenance, is out now. Anne, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Provenance? So Provenance is set in the same universe as the ancillary books, as Ancillary Justice is the first in that trilogy, uh, but in a very different part of space. 
Uh, and it's about a young woman who is the daughter of a very powerful, uh, very powerful person in her society, uh, but who is in very direct competition with her brother uh, for her mother's affection and also to inherit her mother's position. And so uh, she, to uh, impress her mother, she has come up with a very uh, cunning scheme. And uh, of course, it all goes terribly wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it reads sort of like a heist novel, which I I enjoyed. Uh, Was that sort of intentional, that kind of feel or vibe of the book? Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely intentional. What what was your, did you have like a, what was your reasoning behind wanting to kind of go back to that world that you had first explored in the ancillary novels? Well, some of it was because I actually spent a long time constructing that universe. It's a very large universe uh, and lets me do a lot in it. Uh, But some of the early construction work when you're building a new universe, I wouldn't have to do if I stayed in that universe and I I just sort of moved over. But I definitely wanted to do something very different in tone. Um, Writing the trilogy was a really amazing experience, but it was also very intense. And so uh, I said I wanted to do something intentionally very different that was maybe lighter, uh, a little more relaxing. I actually kind of want to ask you about world building because I find that so fascinating. Like, how do you even start building a world like that? Well, in this particular case, uh, it was really just sort of uh, things that are created over time. Uh I know, I always assumed everybody did this, but uh, I've discovered that not everybody does it. Sometimes when you're bored, like you're in line at the post office and you don't have anything to read or whatever, and you sort of tell yourself stories, and they're kind of goofy stories. You're not, like, working hard at them, but there's something in them that you like. Uh, And then uh, as that goes on over time, I would just keep adding things to it. Uh, And eventually it became large enough that uh, I started trying to push it into some kind of coherent shape and into something I could work with. Excuse me. That uh, it's a very long, slow process. I'm not sure how I would handle it if somebody said, "You have a year, build a new universe." That would just be a staggering amount of work. So, how long did it take you then? Just ballpark. Ballpark, uh, more than ten years. Oh wow! Okay, that's a long time. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and I didn't start out intentionally building a world. It just sort of I eventually got a a mess of stuff that I was like, oh, maybe I can work with this. And then the intentional work started, and that was quite some time as well. Got it. Um, I think I remember uh, reading that Ancillary Justice actually started as a book for NaNoWriMo. Is that correct? Sort of. Sort of. Um, some friends of mine were doing NaNoWriMo, and uh, I had always wanted to write a book, you know, the way that you always, not everybody, I guess, uh, but that a lot of people have always wanted to write a book. Uh, and I said, well, I'll do NaNoWriMo. And I had already had at that point the idea for what became Ancillary Justice. But I was very much afraid that I couldn't write it, um, that the main character of Ancillary Justice is a really difficult character uh, to write from her point of view. And I didn't think I could do it. And so what I ended up doing was writing kind of around the edges of the story of Ancillary Justice. And that was my NaNoWriMo novel. And it's really terrible. And it's in a drawer. <laughs> and only very close friends of mine have seen it. That's okay. <laughs> I think that's sort of the point of NaNo is just to start writing. And even if it doesn't necessarily turn into the final product, as long as you're producing more words, it's okay. Um Absolutely. 
so kind of on that, you published your first book after you were over 40. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Which is just incredible, um, especially because it just became this huge thing. So we are recording this on the last day of NaNoWriMo. And for any, um, you know, listeners who may be out there, um, do you have any advice for aspiring writers? Yes. Don't stop. Uh, I don't remember who it was who first said to me, the published are the persistent. Uh, I can't guarantee that everybody listening to me will will succeed in selling their novel, uh, but I can guarantee that if you don't keep writing, you won't get there. Uh, and also, uh, I think it's important to remember that it's not a race. There's no time limit. A lot of times, you know, you see those lists, 30 under 30, and you think, oh, here I am, and I'm 30, and uh, I, I hardly have time. I've got kids to take care of, or I've got, you know, six folks in the family, or, uh, you know, all these other things going on. But it's okay. You don't have to do it all before you're 30. Uh, and it's okay to take your time and do a little bit every day. I, I kind of feel like that's part of the lesson of Man O'Reilly which is you do a little bit as you can do it and you end up with a big pile of words you end up with something that you thought was too big to do when you started uh, and so I think it's important to to be kind to yourself and not kick yourself for what you're not doing but to let yourself do as much as you can do and just let that build up oh that's wonderful one of the things I really love about these books is sort of your use or maybe non-use of of gender um, and and pronouns. I just wanted to sort of ask a little bit about what made you decide to take that approach with your characters. So in the, the trilogy, I began very naively thinking it would be really super cool to write about a future society that genuinely did not care about gender, where it was really and truly 100% irrelevant. And it took me a while to get the effect that I wanted on the page. And ultimately, I settled on using she for all the characters, no matter what. Um, now, there are languages that exist, quite a few uh, on Earth, that use a single pronoun for everybody that don't gender pronouns for people. Uh, but, and that doesn't mean that there's any kind of, uh, you know, perfectly gender equal utopias. But... Uh, for an English speaker, reading that on the page, for me, writing it had a really interesting effect, and so I, I decided to stick with that. Uh, but I didn't realize when I started that how complicated a proposition it was. Uh, I ended up paying a lot more attention as I worked to conversations people were having about uh, their own experience with gender, other cultures' uh, constructions of gender, uh, and really listening a lot to what people had to say and realizing that my understanding of gender was maybe not as sophisticated as I'd assumed. Uh, and so that's something that I've continued to want to play with. So when I wrote Provenance, uh, I said, so in the, the trilogy, I sort of erased gender, uh, but gender is, is very complicated. So uh, I decided to make a culture that recognized three genders that just assumes gender is trinary. Of course, there are three kinds of people in the world, and it's obvious. Uh, and and that was actually a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. What has been the response you've had regarding your use of gender in the books? It, 
in the trilogy, uh, I had a really interestingly mixed response. I had assumed, actually, while I was writing, that uh, my using she as the default would essentially make the book unsellable. I was sure when I finished Ancillary Justice that I would never sell it. And I actually had a friend of mine say to me, um, this is a really, I really like this a lot, this is awesome, and you will never sell it. And I was like, yeah, but the thing about being a writer is there's so much rejection, there's no guarantee of success, and you do it anyway. I, I'm going to do it anyway. I was very surprised, and I was surprised at the number of people who really enjoyed what I'd done. I shouldn't have been, in retrospect. Uh, then, of course, there have been some folks who had very negative reactions, but, I mean, that's life. Nobody's going to like everything. Uh, in the most recent book, In Providence, I used uh, feedback pronouns. I used E-M air, so it's he for a man and she for a woman and E for a nemen. And uh, I've actually had several folks email me complaining that there were tons of typos in the book. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that, that all the he's had been replaced with E or, you know, random he's had been replaced with E. And I've explained, usually I've explained saying, actually, that's not a typo, uh, but if the book's unreadable for you, so, you know, so be it, that's life. And uh, in one, one occasion, the person emailed me back and said, you know, I feel really foolish. I'm reading a book by you. I should expect this. Aww. Yeah, I mean, I really, I liked the way you handled it with, with the ease and it it made perfect sense to me. Like, I, you know, I, I read it and it just... Something about it seemed very natural. You kind of dropped me in that world and this idea of a third gender and it just made perfect sense. So from my perspective, it was very successful. Well, it can be very jarring. Pronouns are, like a lot of words, are really very viscerally powerful. When I wrote uh, Ancillary Justice, uh, and some folks who read it, part of their reaction was, well, I like the idea, but why didn't she use a truly gender-neutral pronoun? For instance, E, which I actually know people in real life, friends of mine, who use E-M air as their pronoun. Right. And uh, so one of, the, one of the nice side effects of writing the book was I got more accustomed to using it. Uh, so why didn't I use one of those in Ancillary Justice? But it's interesting how different the effect is when you use a pronoun that's very familiar and has a very visceral effect. Uh, those words are so powerful. It's really, that's been one of the really amazing things about working with them. Yeah, it's not really anything you think about until you, you know, like you said, you know people who use those pronouns, or in this case, sort of reading a book that uses them. It, it just, it's just everyday language to all of us, for most of us. It's just sort of everyday language um, between just he and she, but then once you have to kind of use other ones, it is a little... Um, I'm not, yeah, I can see how it would be a little jarring for people who maybe aren't familiar with any use outside of just normal binary pronouns. Yeah, and I think it can be unsettling to have it sort of so clearly demonstrated to you that uh, the words that you're using are shaping the way that you're looking at the world and that there's another way of looking at it, which sometimes you don't see if you're always saying things the same way. Right. So, um... Ancillary Justice is, you know, as I mentioned in, in the intro, the first book to win kind of the triple crown of science fiction awards. And it was your debut. What was that like? I was fairly sure I was hallucinating, like for a year. <laughs> um, it was it was so bizarre. And my most, ex- 
when, once I sold the book, my most extravagant fantasy uh, for success was that uh, it would sell a couple thousand copies and the publisher wouldn't cancel the rest of the contract. Uh, and to when people started reviewing it well and buying it, I thought, well, this is amazing. This is like beyond my expectations. And then the award nomination started to roll in and I was just, I was sure that at some point, I was going to wake up in the hospital and somebody would lean over and say, now, Anne, you've been in a coma for six months and you've probably had some weird dreams, but none of that actually happened. You were in a terrible car accident, but that I've never woken up. So it, it's really been truly amazing. So having that happen, you know, with your first book, and like you said, you know, there was a contract and, and this planned trilogy, did, did that come with any kind of additional pressure to write the rest of the, the trilogy at that level? Oh, yes, it did. Absolutely. Uh, and in fact, a lot of it was hitting. Uh, the book came out just before the second book was due, and I was finishing it up. I was a little bit late. Uh, and I'm finishing it up, and I'm seeing all these people talk about how fabulous ancillary justice is, and they can't wait to see what I'm going to do next. And I was like, oh, uh, wow, no pressure, right? right. Uh, or I would see people say, wow, I, I, I can't wait to find out what happens in the next book. And I'm sitting here going, neither can I. I'm still writing it. Um, so, uh, so that was really scary. But actually, that was a place where the nano experience came in handy because I said, you know, what I need to do is I just need to sit down and write. Uh, I need to turn off the internet, and I just need to get the words out. Uh, otherwise, I, I know of several folks who have had really great successes out the gate and been unable to write after that or, uh, or had a really super difficult time, and, uh, and I totally understand why. I sympathize so hard with those folks. So having now written, you know, this, this uh, fourth book within that world, do you have more stories you want to tell from that world? Oh, certainly. Absolutely. It's such a big universe, and I will definitely be, be revisiting it. So you are a lifelong fan and reader of science fiction, and I'm just wondering if there was one science fiction book you remember as being the first that kind of really made you fall in love with the genre. Oh, that's hard to say. I have been reading science fiction since I was very small. Um, the very first book I ever bought with my own money was... <laughs> I'm sure it was like 30 cents out of the scholastic book flyer at school. And I don't even know who it was by. It was some little thing about a telepathic alien and a kid. <laughs> and they had to do something, move some things with telekinesis to make a rocket launch go right. It was a very simple plot. Uh, and boy, it was the best thing in the world. Uh, so I've been reading for a long time. And I can't really say what the first book was that really made me fall in love with science fiction. I can say that uh, I was uh, in grade school and in middle school and high school a huge fan of Henri Norton. Her work was just really, really foundational for me. I always like when I when I speak to people who love reading different kinds of genres, um, what is it about science fiction that you like so much? That's hard to say, too. Part of it is that it's just I'm tempted to just say it's just awesome, right? Right, uh, no, I fully agree with how that. How <laughs> could you not love explosions and spaceships and laser guns and aliens and other planets? And uh, But I think also science fiction is really an amazing genre. It's a lot of times when we say genre, you say, oh, uh, mystery novels. They tend to have, and I don't want to say they're formulaic because they're not. Mystery novels are amazing, but they center around a particular mystery. They're solving a crime or whatever, usually, uh, or ro 
romance books, there are many fabulous romances, uh, they tend to center around that particular central relationship is what that's about. Science fiction doesn't have that same kind of thing. You can have science fiction romance, you can have science fiction mystery, science fiction thrillers, you can have deeply uh, psychological, uh, subtle, literary sort of science fiction. You can blow a bunch of planets up with science fiction. So along with all the cool ray guns and planets and aliens and things, you can also have almost any kind of book imaginable. It's such a huge genre. There's so much variety there. Are there any trends happening in science fiction right now that really excite you or any sort of rising star authors our listeners should be on the lookout for? There are a lot of awesome people working right now. Um, sadly, ironically, part of the reason I got into this was because I love to read so much. And my idea of a dream job was one where I would get free books and I would be paid to read them. But uh, now that I have achieved some success and people do, in fact, send me free books to read, I don't often have the time to read them that I'd like. Uh, that said... Uh, recently, I have read uh, Martha Wells' uh, All Systems Red, which is volume one of the Murderbot Diaries, which is amazing, and I know the next one's coming out next year. Uh, those are novellas, actually, although they're sold as standalone books. Uh, I also recently read, uh, oh, here's one that's awesome, is uh, Yoon Ha Lee's Nine Fox Gambit and Raven Stratagem, and the third one, Revenant Gun, is coming out next year, and I really hope her editor... I really hope his editor sends that to me. Uh, that would be I, because I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, he does amazing work. Uh, I also recommend uh, Fonda Lee's Jade City, which just came out. Uh, and that's a fantasy uh, set in a sort of a world kind of like ours, but not exactly. Uh, sort of uh, uh, kung fu, magical kung fu mixed with a sort of a gangster story, sort of a godfather kind of story. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, Vivian Shaw's Strange Practice, which is an urban fantasy uh, set in London, and the main character is Greta, Greta Helsing, uh, related to Dr. Van Helsing, who has a medical practice treating supernatural creatures in London, and it's really a lot of fun. Those all sound really good. I'm going to have to go look for those myself. <laughs> uh, are you working on anything right now? that you can talk about? I'm working on something right now, but I'm under orders not to talk about it yet. That's entirely okay. So at the end of every episode, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. These are nine sort of lighthearted questions. Don't put too much thought into them. Uh, what is the last book you finished reading? The last book I finished reading was, hang on a second, because it was A Study in Scarlet Women but I forget who that's by. It's a, a Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the, yes. You know, one of those Sherlock Holmes variants, right? Yes. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. This sort of goes back to an earlier question, but not exactly. Uh, what book of any genre made you fall in love with reading? Oh, that's that would be a hard one to answer. Yeah. So I'm going to pick uh, the, the Andre Norton book that made me fall in love with Andre Norton's work, which is The Crystal Griffin. Perfect. Do you have a favorite place to read? Eh, living room couch. What is one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Oh, gosh. Just about anywhere, really. Um, there are too many places in the world that would, that would be a good answer for that. Do you have a favorite holiday you like to celebrate? Oh, they're all kind of fun. Um, I would say Christmas if it were me, 
Um, uh, I think I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Memorial Day. Okay. Because it's really at the, at the beginning of summer and the swimming pool's all open and yeah. That's, that's, that's a good answer. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Oh, a cat person. Although dogs are very nice. <laughs> Coffee or tea drinker? Tea, definitely tea. Do you have a favorite food? And if you could have um, dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, wow. Wow, I don't know. That's a tough one. I honestly don't know. Okay, that's okay. Um, my last question is, what do you hope readers take away from reading your books? I hope that readers have a good time and feel like they got something good for their lives out of it, something positive. I don't, I feel like every reader has their own experience of a book and I don't want to tell folks what they should take out of it, uh, but I hope whatever they take out of it is something that is good. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Anne. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.